Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, Grace Point Church, and thank you so much for being here. Will you stand with me as we read through God's Word this morning? If you'd like to follow along with the reading and you need a Bible, they can be found in the seat backs in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take this one with you. Or if you know someone who needs a Bible, please take this one and give it to them. We would love for you to have God's word in your hand throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verse 8 through 14, and can be found on page 857 in that Bible. Follow along with me as I read. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel of multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. God, we are so thankful for that good news. Uh, and God, we pray that you would be with Jason this morning as he delivers uh, his sermon. Pray that we just uh, take from it what we need to carry throughout our weeks, God, and just uh, just bless and praise more people in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, you can grab a seat. Man, if this is a first Sunday for you, this is a good first Sunday. Uh, any Sunday in this Advent series is a good time to jump in. It's not necessarily a chronological series as, as we do look at these themes or these ideas of things that we have because of Jesus. Last week we looked at hope, that we have hope, and hope is a noun and hope is a verb. Hope is something we have, hope is something that we do, and the only reason we have that capacity is because we've been saved by Jesus and we've trusted in Jesus. And so this week we're gonna look at peace and this idea of peace, but I just wanna lay the, uh, the go ahead and put the argument in the room. Uh, when I was in Israel a couple of years ago, I was, uh, man had this wonderful opportunity to go with a group of pastors and their wives and uh, go travel around uh, Israel and see the sights and do all the things. It was awesome. It was like a big old hike for Jesus is what it felt like. Uh, but um, our tour guide was not a believer at all. In fact, it was a little intimidating whenever we would go to each site, they would assign for each pastor. It was kind of like, they. so this uh, family blessed us and, and covered the cost for all the pastors that got to go. But kind of the uh, trick was, or the trade was, that we had to have something to say at each of the historical sites, which was great. I had this thrilling time preparing basically sermons that I was gonna preach to all these pastors and their wives and the tour guide. And then when we got there, I realized that tour guide is the theologian. Not only is he a theologian, he's a historical expert, and I'm reading books about these places, and he grew up hanging out at these places. And so he would come up to each of us after we would talk and be like, that's incorrect, that's actually not true. You know, not the theological aspects, but just some of the historical stuff. And so anyway, it was fun to talk with him. And uh, one of the things about him is his name's Ron, and Ron is not a believer. And I said, you know so much about the Bible. You know so much about even the New Testament. Uh, why do you reject Jesus? And he, would, and he would just point up. He would go, look. And I'd look up at the sky, and I'd say, what about it? And he said, there's always somebody shooting at us. There's always bombs blowing up around us. There's always war over this land. How in the world is there peace? If he's the prince of peace, I see no peace. And I realized, ah, and that, that's not the peace that we read about in the scripture. That peace is coming. 
Christ will bring that peace. But whenever the angels uh, tell the shepherds that there's peace among those whom he's pleased, that's not the kind of peace that he's talking about. It's not peace in our circumstances. It's not peace in the here and now. It's not that wars will cease now. It's not that we'll never have conflict in relationships now. The idea is that the war between God and man has ended because of Christ. And that's what you get. That's what you receive. If you're wondering, where is my peace? I got up this morning and it was raining and it was wet and I slipped and I fell and I spilled my coffee and then my car wouldn't start. And you know, you know, on and on and on. Like, where's if we have peace, why do I not experience it like I think I should experience it? Well, maybe just theologically, you don't understand the concept quite yet. And the good news is, we disciple people and we open our Bibles and read it. And so it ain't anything that you can't learn and it ain't anything you can't repent of. Um, most of us uh, are prone to think as we approach Christianity, there's been seasons of my life whenever this has been the way that I have tried to encourage other people to believe uh, in the work of Jesus. We're prone to think that what's most uh, wrong about us is our unhappiness. That's where we typically start. Like I'm unhappy. Like I, I'm single and I want to be married or, and now I'm married and I want to have kids and we don't have kids. Now I got kids and now I wish that I didn't have kids or I don't know where you're at. Like I don't know what the thing is, that, but happiness is this moving target and happiness always depends on what happens. Happiness is rooted in circumstances. And if you're like me, there will be times in your life where you approach Christ like he's this genie and you know that we could rub the, the lamp and the genie will come out and like, what are your three prayers? And we give him our three wishes and hope that those things come true. I know the Bible says that you have not because you ask not and we should ask for stuff. I get that. But that's not the, necessarily the peace that we get whenever we become followers of Jesus. See, really there's this war that you and I have been engaged in and it doesn't feel that way. Uh, because I don't, I don't know if you have ever thought about the concept of war, but we're probably in a conflict right now. Our nation with another nation, I don't watch enough news to stay relevant on that sort of stuff, but I think these days we don't talk about it. I think we don't call them wars, we call them conflicts or special ops or like there's just family members we have that disappear sometimes, they come back, we ask them where they've been and they say, I can't tell you, you know, like that's kind of how it happens nowadays. But there was a time whenever we just line up and say, this country is against that country and we're at war. There would be soldiers who go out on the front line, people who work in the military, people who are literally fighting one another. Then there's other people who are getting up and going to work and making sure that we have gas and making sure we have oil and making sure that we have, I guess, windmills now, we're in that thing now, making sure we have food on our plate, getting up every single day. They're not pointing their guns at anybody. They're eating roast with their family for dinner and the kids are going to school and they're coming home and to them, life is normal and they watch the news to see how the war is going. And I want you to know that's kind of how we relate to the war that we have against God. There's this great war that broke out after God created all things, and it's, uh, it happened in heaven. There was a war between God and the angels where Satan rebelled. He was basically the worship leader in heaven, so I always tell Rob to watch out, you know, you know pay attention to his heart uh, he just, as he walks in the door. Um, but Satan was an angel and he, beautiful angel, great ability to lead the other angels in choruses like we've read about this morning. And then he got unhappy with his position and wanted to be God. He wanted to dethrone God and have himself in his place. And God said no. And the war broke out. It didn't last long. And then God sent a third of the angels that had rebelled, uh, 
out of heaven and on the earth. And so if you, if you want to think about this world that God made, it's one world with two dimensions, the seen and the unseen, the natural and the supernatural. And so we know that there are angels and there are fallen angels that were created by God. Some rebelled against God, some still worship him as creator. And then as he made animals and plants and people and the world, uh, we as his creation, we rebelled against him as well. Sometime after that revolt that happened in heaven, Satan shows up and deceives our first parents, Adam and Eve, into disbelieving God's word. Instead of saying God's word says, they believe the lie, did God's word really say? And so they sinned against God. Because of their sin, we now have a fallen nature. We're uh, corrupted. The earth is stained and marred by imperfection and brokenness, and things are not like they should be. It's like driving your uh, V6 engine down the road with only four cylinders working. It's like we're getting somewhere, but it's a bumpy, bumpy ride. And that's how the world operates now. And so because creation rebelled against creator, and we took what is called God's glory, and we took it for ourselves. Creation is made to reflect the glory of God back to its creator. We're like image bearers for Christ. Whenever people look into our life, they're supposed to be able to see the work of God in our life and the work of Christ in our life. And what we did is we, instead of worshiping the creator and obeying the creator, we began to worship what was created and using those things for our own glory or using those things for our own pleasure rather than using those things in a way that worships the one who made it. And this is why I'll post sometimes on social media. Usually I do song lyrics or talk to my family or whatever. Very rarely do I try to be a prophet on social media. Um, But sometimes I'll post the greatest threat to humanity is still sin. That's what it is. The greatest threat to every human being is sin because sin brings death and death brings hell and hell is forever. The greatest threat to humanity is sin, and that means our greatest hope for humanity is always Jesus, because Jesus brings restoration, Jesus brings forgiveness, Jesus brings assurance, Jesus brings peace between us and God. We're no longer enemies of God, pointing our glory guns at him, fighting for his glory, but we're sons and daughters of God, fully forgiven, fully accepted, and made to be part of his family. And so if you, if you grasp the concept of the weight of your sin, that the thing that's separating you from God is not unhappiness, it's unholiness, and then you can treasure the peace that comes when we celebrate Advent, understanding what it is truly that God has saved us from and what he has saved us for. So as we look back in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says in the same region, and when it says in the same region, if you back up in Luke chapter 2, this is the same region where the barn is at that Mary and Joseph are staying overnight, where Jesus is laid up in a feed trough. That's what a manger is. Jesus is in a feed trough. So in that same proximity, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. I just want to pause there for a minute and just give a little bit of description. I don't know, has anybody, this is going uh, um, to help me with what jokes to use here in a minute, but has anybody ever worked the night shift? Man, a lot of you. I'm going to have to be careful. All right. So let me tell you a little bit about the, my experience with night shift folk. Like there are, uh, yeah, I'm going for it. You guys, I'm going for it. There are vampires. There are werewolves. There are circus travelers. And then there are people who decided they didn't want to travel anymore and they wanted to know local employment and stay home. And that's the night shift. (laughs) You're welcome. I don't know if we'll post this one. I don't know if this one will make the internet. But in my experience, so my first job that I like worked 40 hours a week, 
you know, uh, real world type work, not working for family, not working for friends of family. That first job where I had, you know, uh, assistant managers and managers and people pulling me in different directions and I'm trying to put in for time off and all that sort of stuff. It was working for Walmart. It was a great experience and it was a terrible experience. It was all of that. It was all of that. But, but I remember when I first came on, like night shift was a cuss word. Like it really was. Like we'd be walking around and there'd be empty bottles of NyQuil back in Lawn and Garden where I worked. And we didn't have Walmart, like at, in Oklahoma, like if you want to buy liquor, you have to go to the liquor store. And the liquor store's closed on Sundays. Like there's this, you know, if, if somebody sees your car or your truck at the liquor store, it's like, oh, he's at the liquor store. Here we just go to bashes. It's no big deal. You know, there's no stigma on that or any, anything like that. And so, so I didn't understand, like we would be stocking shelves and we'd find empty bottles of NyQuil and the manager would be like, ah, night shift. I was like, what, are they all sick? And they're like, no, they're alcoholics. <laughs> like, what? They're like, yeah, they're going into the pharmacy and taking the Vicks because we, they didn't sell alcohol. And, you know, anyway, so that was like the image I had of night shift. Like, I'm 16 years old. I'm thinking, they must all be like, there's prison and then there's night shift at Walmart. <laughs> okay, and then my first interaction, like, I, I started to have to stay later and my shift would go from, you know, three to nine and then I was staying until 10 or 11 or sometimes I'd work four to 12s. And there was these guys would come out of the back pulling the uh, pallet jacks and hauling stuff. And I remember the time that I stayed long enough that night shift took their first break. They would all go outside and smoke and I guess terrorize the world. I don't know what all they were doing, but they would all hang out outside. And I saw this one guy, I'm not even kidding. I know you're gonna think I'm making all of this up, but I'm not. This guy's out there with a sword swinging the sucker around and like hitting the side of the building, ka-ching, ka-boom, ka-ching. I'm like, hey man. What's going on? He's like, I'm just practicing. I'm like, for what? He's like, I'm a prize fighter. And I was like, I believe you. I, I don't know anyone else but you who would be a prize fighter. Like, you're probably snacking on Vicks right now. Like, so anyways, the reason I say all this, like, these are like sword swallowers and, you know, juggler, like all this, the kind of people I was thinking of, that's kind of how these overnight shepherds were seen in the community. They were a different kind of person. And if you were a night shift worker, we love you. This is a safe place. I know you weren't stealing Vicks at Walmart. Somebody was, but it wasn't you. But the, but the question is, what kind of person should we invite to church? What kind of person will the angels show up to and announce the birth of Jesus? The answer is anyone who's in proximity. That's the answer. Why did the angels show up to the shepherds, the night shift workers? Because they were the per people closest in proximity to where Jesus was. And so as you think about Christmas Eve and you think about this Advent series, who should we invite? I don't want you to be just thinking about people who vote like you and think like you and look like you. You may have someone you know who practices their sword skills, you know? You may, you may know nights, you, heck, you may still be night shift people and you just got off shift, you stayed up long enough to come here to be with church with us. This is a church for you. We want Grace Point Church to be a church for anyone because the gospel is for anyone. If you, under, if you ever are wondering, who should I invite to church? Who should I tell about Jesus? The answer is everyone. We tell everyone because Jesus will save anyone. He'll show up in the middle of a field in the middle of the night and send his angels to freak out some shepherds so that they can know that church is happening on the other side of the field. Verse nine, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Now we read that and you've probably read that for years if you've been a part of church or had any kind of Bible reading plan. Um, you, you read that, but I read that. I'm like, man, can you imagine? Like somebody was gonna have to have a change of clothes. 
This is the middle of the night. Just think about what you're doing. You're probably sleeping in your room. Just imagine, boom, the, you know, the dimension opens up and the glory of God shines around and these angels show up in your bedroom in the middle of the night. You would be filled with great fear. And so this is a, an appropriate response. They're freaked out, not just because they saw a UFO. You know, that's probably what they're thinking at first. Like this, my goodness, this is wild. This is crazy. Uh, where's my phone? You know, I need to take a picture of this. But the other reason they fall to the ground is because they come into the presence of the holiness of God's glory. These angels are radiating and reflecting the radiance of God's glory to these sinful people. The reason that they fall to the ground is not because they're night shift people. It's not because they're less than. That's not the reason. The reason is they're just like us. They're sinners. They've sinned against God. I don't know if you've ever come into contact with something that's so much greater than you. Uh, when we first moved here, um, my family was like, hey, we got to go see the Grand Canyon. Hey, while we're here, we want to go see the Grand Canyon. To be honest with you, I was tired. We just drove a long way to move out here from Oklahoma, and we just had a few days, and I'm like, I just kind of want to rest and you know, unload some boxes, but like, no, I'm telling you, you got to go see it. It's a big old hole in the ground. And all I could think of was like, it can't be that big. It's just a hole in the ground. And so we drive up there all day, you know, and I'm kind of in a mood, and if you know me, you can relate, and you know, you know. So I'm doing that thing, Ron Swanson face, all that, and... <laughs> And uh, we don't have Macy yet, but Brinley's little bitty, and Brinley's the one in the stroller. And we're just walking through, and as we walk out there, there's a little bit of fence, and I'm like, okay, it's like a park. And then we get out there a little bit more, and I'm like, where'd the fence go? You could just go to the edge of the Grand Canyon and look. I'm like, this is not okay. Like everybody back, I just wanted to turn into a park ranger. Like everyone's like feeding little chipmunks and acting like it's cool and acting like they're falling off the edge and taking pictures. And I just like, it freaked me out. I realized death. I realized how short my life was. I realized how, I know I'm a big guy, but I ain't that big compared to the Grand Canyon. You know, I feel real good about my size whenever I go stand beside the Grand Canyon. I'm telling Carrie to get the kids back. Brinley's not welcome there. She can't see it. You know, like I'm freaking out. And so, and, and that, the canyon isn't judging me, but it could engulf me. And if you've ever stood beside something like that, if you've ever been out on a boat and seen the massive size of a whale coming up out of the water, anything like that, um, it's, it's crazy. I remember one time I was deer hunting and I had coyotes come up around me in the mornings and they had no idea I was there and I was thankful for that. But they look little and like, oh, just little rascally animals. But when they're right beside you, they look like they could eat you, you know? And so they're in the presence of the holiness of God. That's an appropriate response for us because if Jesus were to show up right now radiating his glory and we're not his people forgiven and, and, and you know, um, redeemed by him, we would just be threatened by the glory of God. I want you to think about if you were ever a kid, if you were, ever, you were kids one time. If when you were a kid, if anyone ever tried to show you the solar eclipse, if you've ever seen one of those, and you're not, you don't look up at, like these lights. You don't look up at that. You have to put on some kind of filter. And I remember being a kid, and they'd give us a welder's mask, and we'd look through a welder's mask to try to see the solar eclipse. Why? Because it's so full and so bright and so powerful. That's the glory of God. And it, and it defeats and destroys and consumes and judges and pours wrath out against our unholiness. And before we have peace with God, we're at war with God. And I want you to know it's not much of a war. It's not much of a battle. It's more like a deadline. It's like we rebelled against him, and there's a day that's going to come when he's going to judge the living and the dead. 
everybody will be gathered against, uh, uh, in front of him and you'll either be with him or against him and the, and the war on glory will end forever. So holiness meets unholiness. Verse 10, then the angel said to them, hey, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now, I always read that and kind of see some humor in this, and here's the reason why I do that, and it don't really help the sermon any, but at least you can giggle at something that I giggle at maybe. But, you know, Satan was, uh, Rob, I was telling them he was the worship leader in heaven. So, you know, yeah, you know, keep watch over your soul, brother. So, but he was, he really was. And then he rebelled against God. He wanted to take glory for himself. And then anytime angels show up in the Bible, people get down on the ground and like, ha, ah, and the angels are always like, get up, get up, get up. And I always have this imagery of like, Jesus is watching those angels to see if they're gonna take the same bait Satan took, you know, wanting glory for themselves. Because the angels are always like, man, don't do that, don't do that. Jesus is watching, you know, we, we ain't out of that 33%. We're the good guys. Anyway, you don't even think it's funny. That's fine, that's fine. So the angel, the angel tells him, fear not, don't be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And that's really what angels do. They show up with a message and they don't look like little cherubs. They're not like uh, fat babies floating in the sky with wings. They're like soldiers. Like, man, they show up with military equipment and swords and, and glory. And they come to you know, either give a message or kick someone's tail. And they came for a message that time. And the message they said was, there's good news of great joy that'll be for all people groups all over the world, all of people. Some of all the people are gonna believe this and receive this. Good news and great joy. And so the essence, this is the essence of the message. This is the essence of the gospel that what we believe is really good news, not merely good advice. See, good advice has to be behaved for results. Good advice would be eat less, move more, and you'll lose weight. Spend less, save more, you'll have more money. You have to do the stuff to get the rewards for the things. There's, good advice has its place in life. It's, it's a helpful, meaningful thing. It's just not the way the gospel works. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. And the way that you receive results from good news is you believe it. You either go, fake news, that's not real, or you go, I believe that, that is real, I embrace that. And that's the essence of what the angels are saying, that I have good news for you. The good news is, it's a boy. You know good news when you hear it. You know good advice when you hear it. Good advice is like, here's some chores, go do them and see what happens. Good news is, it's a boy, we're having a baby. The cancer is gone, the war is over. Uh, when, you, when you announce, will you marry me? You're making an announcement that I have decided to love you in this way. Will you receive that love and say yes to me? Because people are watching, you know? If you ever put yourself out there. Good news and great joy. Joy is connected to news. Happiness is connected to circumstances. Joy is connected to deep in your heart, you believe in what? Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There is, that is packed full of stuff, packed full of stuff. And here's what I think. I think the shepherds, just like me, I've read that for years. I didn't get that one verse. I could preach sermons on that one verse, but I didn't realize that till years of Bible study and reading books by people smarter than me, okay? I don't think the shepherds fully grasped all the theology behind this, but they believed the news that that baby's born to us and there's peace for me if I believe this. And here it is, Savior. Savior, what is the good news? That yes, we've been at war against God. Yes, we are enemies of God, but this person, Christ, has come to save us from God himself. See, the war is not this war between Satan and God and their arm wrestling over our souls. It's not like that. 
Satan has already been uh, given his verdict and his sentence will be paid in full when Christ returns and writes everything that's gone wrong and all evil will go to hell forever. That, that's any creation that rebelled and revolted against God that has not be, been redeemed by putting their faith in Jesus. That's fallen angels, that's fallen people, okay? The good news is that Jesus saves his people from our sin and from judgment against our sin by God. Well, how does he save us? Through his life and his death and his resurrection, through his life, he achieves perfection, which is righteousness, where he's faithful to God's law. He never broke a single commandment. He learned how to walk. He learned how to talk. He was just like us, but without sin. He spilled milk. You know, he, he you know, tried to fix the car and, and broke stuff, like all that, like completely human, but without any sin. He never rebelled, never revolted against the Father in heaven. That's his life. His life accomplishes righteousness. His death is not just an innocent man dying an unjust death, or a death of injustice. He's also absorbing the wrath of God against sin. On the cross, the natural is colliding with the supernatural. God is pouring his wrath out against all of the sins that Christ is paying in full for. So with Christ's life, he achieves righteousness. With his death, he achieves our forgiveness and our atonement and our redemption. And with his resurrection, that's where he gives us our hope and he gives us our peace and our joy and love. All of these things come because this is not just philosophy. This is history, that Christ is truly raised from the dead. If he's truly raised from the dead, your sins really are forgiven. If your sins really are forgiven, your sin has no power over you. You're living a brand new transformed life from the inside out. If he's raised from the dead, you can forgive rather than throat punching those who have sinned against you. If he's raised from the dead, you can confess your sins to those whom need to know about it to hold you accountable uh, rather than concealing those things and hiding those things because sin is powerless because Christ is all powerful. He's our savior. He saved us from God. He saved us from, from hell. He saved us from sin. And our work is to believe. Our work is not to go live the righteous life. Our work is to rest in the righteous life that Jesus lived. We trade places with him by faith when we believe that that's true. He takes what's bad about us. He gives us all that's good about him. So he's a savior and he is Christ the Lord, Christ, this is a title. This is like a political title. This would be like president. This, this would be a world leader. This is the way people thought of this. So in Hebrew, it would be Messiah. In Greek, it would be Christ. And, the, and people kind of had an idea of what Jesus was gonna do. Like he was gonna come back and make the universe awesome again, if I can do that, if you'll let me do that. But they kind of thought Jesus is gonna come back and kick, he's gonna come and he's gonna kick tail. He's gonna overthrow Rome. Israel's gonna be a superpower again and he's gonna do tax relief and reestablish a military. They thought it was all economic and political and earthly. And Christ shows up and says, that's not the kind of Messiah or the kind of Christ that I am. I'm making something that's gonna transcend all nations. I'm making something that's gonna be more powerful than any military. Do you know what that thing is that he made? It's a church. He made a church, a church that transcends all cultures and all continents. It's all over the world. For 2,000 years, it has been an unstoppable force. Why are we receiving a Christmas offering? So that we can fund the unstoppable force that's spreading all over the world. It's called the church. He is Christ over the church. And Old Testament folks or, or Jewish folks got the, the, the theology behind it. Greek folks or, or white boys like me kind of have to read books by dead guys to catch up on the theology. Okay? But here it is. He's all three offices that we see in the Old Testament in one person. In the Old Testament, you would see the office of prophet. 
prophet was usually a real surly, odd dude, didn't fit into society. He'd go live in a cave for a while and come out and tell everybody that they're going to hell and they're sinning and things are wrong. He'd go speak truth to power. When the king would sin against God, the prophet would show up and line him out like a piece of, you know, straighten him out like a piece of wire. That's kind of what the prophet was supposed to do. And so there was the office of priest, and the priest was supposed to be the one who mediated between God and his people. In other words, uh, if we lived in Old Testament times, our prayers were literally not heard by God unless they went through the priest. The priest would go pray to God. Priest would speak for the people to God. God would speak to the priest, and the priest would come out and speak to the people on behalf of God. There was a literal, functional um, mediator between God and man, and it was the priest. And the priests that worked under the, the high priest would offer sacrifices for families. They would do day of atonement where they would bring in a, a blood sacrifice so that sins could be forgiven and rolled over for another year, okay? So he's, he is not, so there was prophet, there was priest, and then there's king. And we're more familiar with king. That was David and Solomon, these kings who defeated great armies. These kings did great things, but they also sinned woefully so. And so then there's this Christ and this Messiah who's going to show up with the voice of a prophet, not just speaking truth to power, but speaking truth and love, leading multitudes of nations to repentance, that they'd be restored and be right with God and have peace with God instead of war with God over glory. Because Jesus speaks in such a way that shows us our sin, not to shame us for our sin, but so we can name our sin and walk away from our sin and be reunited with our creator and radiate his glory back to him as an image bearer. So we've been forgiven uh, by the, because we believe the words of Christ. Uh, Jesus is the true and better priest who not only makes a sacrifice for our sins, but is the sacrifice for our sins. And now because we live under the priesthood of Jesus, we also have what we call the priesthood of every believer. That means that every believer prays and God hears their prayers, that every one of us has direct access to the holy of holies, which is Christ himself because of the mediation of Christ between all of us. So in other words, when you ask me to pray for you, I will, but I want you to know that my prayers are not more powerful than yours. I may know more about the Bible than you, and that's why you have a pastor. You can ask me questions, I can give you answers, but really my job is to teach you how to ask the right questions and find the right answers and then encourage you or jerk a knot in your tail every Sunday. Whichever needs to happen, I'm here to do that. But I'm not here to mediate between you and God because our mediator is Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the true and better priest, and he's the true and better king. He doesn't just rule and reign over one nation. He rules and reigns over all nations, over all the churches. He is Messiah. He is Christ. And what does it mean that he's Lord? Very simple. He's in charge. <laughs> That's what that means. What's it mean to be Lord? It means that he's in charge. So born unto you and to me or anyone who would believe is this Savior who will save us from the wrath of God. He's Christ. He speaks truth and love as our prophet. As our priest, he's brought us near to the Father through his life, death, and resurrection. And as our king, he rules and reigns over the church. And nothing that happens to us doesn't pass by his desk first. And how do we relate to this guy? We follow him because he's in charge, because he's Lord. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. Now, I know all of like this, this is where people get like, oh, signs, Bible codes, and all that sort of stuff. And I, we should like write a book, like I should, we should do one of those deals where we cut out little squares all over the Bible. And you know, who knows what I'm talking about? Like, good, at least half of you can giggle. And the other half of you are like, what is he talking about? But uh, here's what I love, love about this story is I just want you to know that God is a revealing God. I don't believe that there's hidden codes in the Bible. 
I don't believe that at all. Is there stuff like numerology in the Bible that I don't understand? Yes. Are there big words I can't say right? You bet. There's all kinds of, there's complexities there, but when it comes to this good news, it ain't hard to believe. It just ain't hard to believe. Listen to the sign that God gives the shepherds. Now, I grew up in Oklahoma. I started pastoring in Western Oklahoma. And this is before we had phones that told us how to get to places. And man, I never, it took me forever to understand this, but I'd ask somebody, how do I get to so-and-so's house out in Western Oklahoma? And they would say this phrase. They would say, well, preacher, as the crow flies, it's about five miles east from here. And I'd go, yeah. I'd say, Carrie, what does that mean? She's like, I don't, I don't know. Ask somebody else, hey, how do I get to so-and-so's house? Well, as a crow flies, looks like you come about, you're about three miles east over that way. Finally, I just asked somebody, what does that mean? Oh, it just means if you could go in a straight line from here to there, it'd be three miles. And I was like, do you know how dumb that is? I can't go in a straight line from here to there or I'm trespassing and cutting fences. Why can't you say, when you get to that school bus that hadn't ran in 15 years, take a right. And if you get to the bulldozer that hadn't run in 20 years, you've gone too far. You know, help me. Here's how the angels help the shepherds. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, I know to you that sounds like Christmas, but do you know what they just told them? Hey, there's a family in that barn, <laughs> and the baby that's in the feed trough, he's the one. You know how many babies were in a feed trough that night? Probably just one. I hope just one, okay? So they go in the barn, they go, baby wrapped swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with an angel, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, here it is, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among those with whom he's pleased. The sign is simple. John Lennon got his song. It, it happened. Happy Christmas, war is over for Christians. Happy Christmas, war is over for Christians. The sign was simple. No need to decode the information. Uh, not many babies lying in a manger on that night. Just one. And they had peace. God is no longer. Here's what peace is for you, Christian. God has no longer set his wrath against you. Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the peace that you have with God. You can know that when your life seems easy, when your life seems difficult, you have peace with God. As the Lord is giving, as the Lord is taking away, you have peace with God. You can sometimes wonder, what are the signs? What am I doing wrong? Why is life so hard? Sometimes we're just dumb. Sometimes we make bad decisions and sometimes the world is broken. But you can know that God has set his affection toward you, and you will not be judged for your sin because Christ was judged in your place. And you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, as we enter into eternal rest because we are at peace with God and the glory war has ended for those of us who are in Christ. When I say in Christ, go back to that imagery of Noah and his family in the ark, spared from the wrath of that flood. That's peace. That's peace. There's no condemnation for our sin and we're no longer parentless. What does God's wrath look like in the present? It looks like someone who thinks they're the smartest person in the room, that the world orbits around them. They always get what they want. They always get away with stuff. They don't seem to get caught. They think 
They think they get to believe whatever they want to believe and think they're right in their own eyes. Romans calls this a debased mind. To just live your life like you have no dad, like you have no mom, getting to do whatever you want, building fires in the attic, sleeping in the middle of the street, doing whatever you want with relationships and resources and time and effort and all of your beliefs. And then one day you stand before God and realize all that time, even as you experienced success, even as things went your way, God's wrath was set against you. And that's what we call God's, theologically, we call it God's passive wrath. That you get to live your life thinking everything's just hunky-dory and fine. And then you stand before your judge and he releases the ocean of wrath that has been prepared against you for an eternity in hell. Because you are not at peace with God and you are still in the war over glory. But those of us who have peace, there's no condemnation for our sin. Are there consequences? Heck yeah, because we have a dad. What does a good dad do? Gives good consequences so that we are learn because we're loved. So happiness will always depend on what happens. Oh yeah, we're running. We're in the red zone. Happiness always depends on what happens. Happiness is rooted in our circumstances, but peace is received by faith in the work of Christ. And who is peace for? It's for anyone absolutely anyone who would believe in their heart that Jesus has raised from the dead and confess with their lips, what did he say? That he's Lord. Let's pray.